Welcome to Global Outpouring, where we contend for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit promised in Joel 2.28, and we equip for the outpouring so that we may engage in the outpouring. I'm Philip Buss. And I'm Sharon Buss. Welcome to our podcast today. We're so glad that you're with us. We have a very special thing that's on our hearts. Philip and I are worshipers, and we lead worship, and that's a really important part of equipping for the global outpouring. And we're bringing to you something that's very special in our hearts. It's a prophetic parable that the Lord gave to Charlotte Baker in 1981. And we want to share it with you today, The Eye of the Needle. So what is the eye of the needle? Jesus referred to it in Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 17. Let me read it for you. As Jesus started on his way, a man came running up to him. Kneeling down in front of him, he cried out, Good teacher, what one thing am I required to do to gain eternal life? Jesus responded, Why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. You already know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give a false testimony. Do not cheat. And honor your father and mother. The man said to Jesus, Teacher, I have carefully obeyed these laws since my youth. Jesus fixed his gaze upon the man with tender love and said, Yet there is still one thing in you lacking. Go, sell all that you have and give the money to the poor. Then all of your treasure will be in heaven. After you've done this, come back and walk with me. Completely shocked by Jesus' answer, he turned and walked away very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus looked at the faces of his disciples and said, How hard it is for the wealthy to enter into God's kingdom realm. The disciples were startled when they heard this. But Jesus again said to them, Children, It is next to impossible for those who trust in their riches to find their way into God's kingdom realm. It is easier to stuff a rope through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to enter into God's kingdom realm. You know, it's interesting that the Passion uses it's easier to stuff a rope through the eye of a needle uh, than to use what the the illustration that Jesus actually spoke, uh, where he said it's easier for a camel. camel. Yeah. I mean, but, we've, uh, we've ridden a camel before. They're big. Yeah, camels are very big. Uh, but, but the eye of the needle that he's referring to is a very small gate. Um, typically, it was a gate that would have a larger opening, but then it would have a very small opening that, that a person would go through. Uh, and you see that kind of a gate in the, in the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem where you have to step up. It's about, it's about uh, maybe a foot off of the, the ground. So you have to step up and in, but you also have to bow down at the same time. Or you will hit your head you on You will definitely stone. hit your head on it. Um, but it's a small, small door that is, that's designed for people, but the people have to bend over and step up. And that's done intentionally so that you would bow. Yes, that's... It's an honor of respect. Right. And, and I, think, uh, 
I think there's also another one in Jerusalem. I haven't actually seen that one, but um, I've, I've been told about it and seen pictures of it where, you know, it's just a small, small door. So it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. That, that, that's what that kind of a door is called, is uh-huh. the eye of the needle. Um, but you get the same picture, really, in the Passion, like stuffing a rope, a rope through the yeah. eye of a needle. It seems impossible. Yeah, it's not the little needle we think of, you know, that's so right, tiny. Right, So he's, you know, the, the interpreter of that Bible translation is using a, a, a more familiar thing to us. But in Jesus' day, it was, it was with a, a, a camel. The point is that it's difficult for someone who's very rich to get into the kingdom of heaven, but why? It has to do with letting go of things and letting go of your own way. Yes. So you don't have to be rich to have a problem with letting go of your own way. (laughs) (laughs) It's just harder when you're rich because if you're rich, you normally can do more things that you want to do. Yeah. You know, if you are rich and wealthy, you are more prone to do things the way you want to do them because money talks. Yes. And you can buy your way out of trouble and you can, you know, you can buy your way into what you want. You can buy a faster car. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can do all kinds of things with money. Nice house, swimming pool, all these things. But that doesn't buy happiness. That's true. You you remember what, what we found when we were in the United Arab Emirates? That the story that we were told, because there's no such thing as a poor citizen of the Emirates. Yes. And, uh. And they told us the story that um, the custom was you could go buy any any car you want. And um, some of them, after six months, they would get tired of the car. And they would drive it into the Gulf somewhere and just go buy a new one. The Persian Gulf. Persian Gulf. I mean, yeah. that could be a Mercedes. It could be anything you want because money is no object to them. They, they don't know what it's to be without it. Yeah. They, they soon learned that they could make more money by selling it to the expats that were working there, the people that, that they hired to come from, from India and from Pakistan and, and Sri Lanka to, to do all their work and, and the Philippines so that they wouldn't have to work. They could just live rich. And I had this little shaver I just wanted to buy a new head for. It was made in Hong Kong back then. And it says, you can't buy parts for anything here. You just buy new. You throw the old away. Yeah. I don't know what their landfills look like, wherever they were at, but uh, but they say there wasn't a poor citizen in the Emirates, you yeah. know, and, and uh, we had quite a time there. <laughs> we certainly did. Anyway, it's about laying down your things. And I just want to say, you know, it's not that it's impossible for the rich, because I, I love the fact that uh, in the Luke version of it, in Luke 18, Uh, where you hear the same story, the very next chapter, you find the story of Zacchaeus, who was a very rich man. And Jesus came to his house and dealt with him. And I don't know what he said or what he did, but just his presence. Since I will restore and add to what anybody I have taken from illegally. Exactly. Exactly. He repented. He laid it down. So it's not that it's impossible. It's just really difficult. Mm-hmm. And, but it's a matter of your will. It's about your will and laying down your will and, and about who you are. You know, this rich young man, church history, um, church tradition, shall I say, indicates that there's a real strong possibility that 
Barnabas in the book of Acts chapter 4 was the same man as that rich young ruler. He didn't, he didn't get his act together to follow Jesus at that point. He went away sorrowful because he had all of these riches and he, was, um, he, just, he didn't know that he could sell everything and give to the poor. That was just beyond him. You know, he, <laughs> that, that wasn't part of the, the word of God that he understood. You know, it didn't say that in the Old Testament. But Jesus was bringing us into the kingdom of God. And yeah. the kingdom of God is bigger and better than what was laid out in the law as I've said in, an, in another podcast, the way I see it is that the law was given to show us how people behave when they love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength, and their neighbor as themselves. And you can read early in the book of Acts where, where the disciples and all the new believers, they sold everything and had all things common. Yes, yeah. which is not an easy thing to do. No. Uh, you know, the, the hippies tried that, and how long did it last? You know, it lasts for a little while, but, but sooner or later, unless you've got the Holy Spirit, and that's what the book of Acts had, the church in the mm-hmm. book of Acts had this mighty outpouring, and that mighty outpouring is coming again on steroids. But these people came under that glorious presence of God. The glorious presence of God that causes your will to melt, that causes your will to say, oh, I just love you so much, Lord. I'll do anything for you. I can never tell you no, because I love you so much. I I love what Heidi Baker said when she had that experience in Toronto that changed her life. It transformed her as a missionary. She said, I looked into those fiery eyes of love, the eyes of the Lord, and I knew I could never tell him no. Wow. Yeah. It's the experience of the Holy Spirit. It's the outpouring that changes how you think. It changes your abilities to to let go of your own will. You know, you can't just do that on your own. You can you can say, Well, it's kind of like it's kind of like the diet that you start January (laughs) first. You have the willpower to start it on January first, but how long does it last? Yeah. But if you have the Holy Spirit yes, and you're doing things, remember what, what uh, Romans 8, 14 says, as many as are led by the, the Spirit, Spirit of God, God they, they are, are the, the sons, sons of God. God. Yes. And those sons, that word sons there, refers to the mature ones, the ones who reflect the character of their father, the ones who are operating in relationship with him, in relationship to him. That's what God is expecting. That's what he's provided for to come out of this outpouring, just like it did in the book of Acts, where everybody was willing to let go of everything that they had, all of their Mm -hmm. possessions, in order to meet the needs of everyone else. And Barnabas was one of those who had land, and he sold it, and he laid his money at the apostles' feet. Yes. And, of course, we know that right after that was when Ananias and Sapphira didn't do what everybody else was doing, and they held back part of the money, and they didn't live to tell about it, really. Yeah. Uh, that's also uh-huh. part of what happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out. There's a mighty move of God. There's no room for sin. That's well put, Philip. Yeah. Well put. Well put. So 
this is the story of the eye of the needle as Jesus was talking about. And it was talking about the rich having difficulty getting into the kingdom of God in the same way that it would be difficult for a camel to go through this very small door. So we want to bring to you a prophetic parable that was shared by a great woman of God in 1981. Her name was Charlotte Baker. We had the privilege of being with her on two, three, four occasions. We didn't know her well, but we loved her very much. And she taught in our Bible school here. Yes, she did. She spoke at our conventions. Yes. And if you go into your church and you see banners and you see the old drama, you see the dance, people dancing with, you know, streamers. And the Lord spoke to her way back when, and she was the instrument God used to bring the arts back into the church. That's right. And that was a very, uh, that was sticking was your unheard, neck out. Unheard of. Yeah, she stuck her neck out real big because you don't do things like that. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was what God was planning to do at this time. It was something that had to happen. Right. And she was the instrument that God used, but you won't hear that anywhere. Yeah, very so, rarely. So whenever you go into your your church and you see banners on the wall, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and you see the drama and everything going on, that was because of someone that obeyed God mm-hmm. and did what he told her to do. Yeah, and she was touched deeply by the latter rain movement in uh, the late 40s, early 50s. Uh, she was a part of that movement. So God used her many times to bring what she called prophetic parables. It wasn't just like a prophecy but it was more like a parable that that helps you get a picture in the theater of your mind. <laughs> and so we want to bring that to you today. She brought this at the National Worship Symposium in Shady Grove Church in, in the Dallas, Texas area uh, in 1981. So we're going to read it for, for you. And we're, we're actually going to uh, bring it up into current language because she was, she was a King James person and and that's how she presented it in in that time it was it was uh, it was very comfortable and everyone understood it so we're going to read it for, for you I stood among the sons of men strong and tall my heart was filled with enthusiasm my life was given to the purposes of God upon that day I said to the Lord I will do mighty exploits in the name of my God The Lord came unto me, and he said, What is it, son of man, that you would have? I said, Lord, if I could only be among those who play sweetly upon an instrument and who sing well in the house of the Lord, then I would do great things for my God. The Lord came to me, and he gave unto me the desire of my heart. He stood me among the sons of men. He let me play, and he let me sing. I saw the day when the hearts of men were moved by that thing that the Lord had given unto me. After hearts of men were moved, I stood back and I said to myself, Now I will be content, for I have been able to move the hearts of men. But in my secret hour, I bowed my head before my God and said, Lord, you've given me what I asked for, but my heart is heavy. I have a longing for something more. He came again unto me in the night season. He asked me again, Son of man, ask me again the thing that you would have of me. I said, Lord, I see men bowed by burdens low, 
I see hearts that are broken. I see sadness and discouragement. Oh, give me the power of the spoken word, that I might speak the word and their hearts will be delivered. The Lord came unto me and said, Son of man, I have given you the things which you have desired. With great joy I marched before the people of God. In my youth and in my enthusiasm I spoke the word and men were delivered. I spoke the word and their hearts were made whole. I knew what it was to bind the brokenhearted and to pour in the oil of joy for mourning. While men were praising him and glorifying his name, I went back to my secret chamber. I bowed my head in sorrow. I said, Oh, my God! Oh, my God! I'm not satisfied! He came again unto me, and he said, Son of man, what is it that you again desire of me? And I said, Oh, my God, give me power in my hands, that as you did, I might lay my hands upon the sick and see healing flow. He said unto me, It is done as you have commanded. God healed the sick. I went to the nations of the earth, and I saw the sick raised from their sick beds. I saw pain and suffering go away. I was rejoicing as I went to my secret place. I bowed my head before my God. I said, Now, my God, I will be satisfied, for you have given me that which I have desired. No sooner had the words come out of my mouth, when the heart within me began to ache and cry. I said, God, I do not understand this. Again, my heart is sad. I said, Lord, will you just one more time give me the thing I ask of you? He said, It is done. I said, God, I desire to go against principalities and powers, the powers of the wickedness of this world in spiritual darkness in high places. He said, Surely I give it unto you. Now go. So I went, and the Lord allowed me to go into dens of iniquity and holes and dives where men hide from the light because of the sin and evil that is upon them. There was a day when I saw demons cry out at the very presence of the power of God that rested. Then I went back to my secret place broken. I said, God, I've asked you for all that I desire, and still my heart is not satisfied. Nor do I feel that I have touched the thing that you have called me to. In my youth, I had expended myself with all the things that my heart had desired. Then one more time, a gracious and loving God visited me in the night season. He said, Now, what is it that you desire? In brokenness of heart, I bowed before him and I said, God, only that thing which you desire to give unto me. He came unto me and said, Come with me, and I will take you on a journey. He took me past my friends. He took me past those with whom I had come into the house of the Lord. He took me into a desolate place. He caused me to go into a place alone in the wilderness. I said, Oh, my God, you have cut me off from those I love. What are you doing to me? He said, I take you to the place where all men must come if their heart's cry is to be fulfilled. At a certain hour, I bowed before a gate that is called the Eye of the Needle. There, before the Eye of the Needle, I heard the voice of the Lord say, Bow low. I bowed low. 
He said, No, lower. So I bowed lower. He said, Yet lower. You do not go low enough. So I went as low as I could go. I had upon my back my books of learning. I had with me my instruments of music. I had with me my gifts and abilities. He said unto me, You have too much. You cannot go through this gate. I said, God, you've given me these books. You've given me these abilities. He said, Drop them, or you do not go. So I dropped them. I went through a very small gate that is called the Eye of the Needle. As I went through this gate, I heard the voice of the Lord say, Now rise to the other side. As I rose, a very strange thing happened to me. For lo, the gate, which was so small that I must lay aside everything, was so wide I could not fill it. As I stood in the presence of the Lord, I said, God, what is this thing that you have done unto me? For now my soul is satisfied. He said, You have come through the gate of worship. Now come up to the circle of the earth, and I will show you a great mystery. I will reveal unto you the thing that I am doing among the sons of men. The Spirit of the Lord caught me away. He took me to the circle of the earth higher than the eagle flies, beyond where the clouds can rumble, beyond where the sun shines or the moon finds her path. There, at the throne of my God, he said, Look down upon my people. I saw strange things. I saw my companions gathered around a very small gate. I saw them wringing their hands and crying. They were saying to one another, God has given us these instruments of war. This sword is my sword, and I will work against the enemy. I will bring the enemy down. I cannot go through this gate, for if I go through this gate, I must put down my sword. God has called me to be a warrior, and therefore I will not do it. And I heard another one say, Me? Lay down my instruments of music? Lay down all that God has given unto me just to go through that silly little gate to be nothing but a bare man who comes out on the other side stripped of everything? I cannot do this thing. I saw them as they stood aside in their pride, afraid to bow themselves before a very small gate. Then I saw again, as the Lord brought me closer to the gate, I saw a man bow low, laying down everything that he had. As he came through the very wide gate on the other side, his instruments of music were there. His sword was there. His books were there. The power was there. The word of the Lord came to me. Go now and tell this people before you, I have given unto this people extreme talents and much ability. I have called you who are instrumentalists to play. But I say unto you this night, if you do not come through the very small gate, which is the gate of worship, and bow low and lay before me your instruments, your talents, your abilities, your vision, and your power, you shall always be among those who will only be able to minister to the hearts of men and bless the hearts of men. But there is a gate open in the church in this hour, which is a very small gate. Through that gate only men who are worshipers will go, 
These men will fall on their face before me. These men will lay their talents before their God. These men will say, God, we will be worshipers. Through that wide gate they will come. As they come through that wide gate, hear again the word of the Lord. They will arise again on the other side, not to minister unto men, but to minister unto their God. I have brought this people together this night to make unto you a choice. You can minister unto men, and I will cause you to sway the hearts of men with your talent. Or you can go through a very small gate, and while making new worshipers, you will minister unto the king. That's it. It's powerful. My brother was at this meeting when this was spoken, and he has a music conservatory, him and his wife, and he laid his violin down for a year. And I always wondered why I was just barely saved at this time. I was a very new believer. But that was the impact. And when you hear the recording, you can hear people crying. It was so powerful. And you can hear it on YouTube. It's, it is out there. Yeah, we can put a link out there for you. But it was some years back, you know, when you're in ministry for a long time, things can become just um, common. Mm-hmm. just routine routine and it was kind of like routine and I thought well Lord you know maybe this this is something I need to go through you know I because I, th- I thought I'd been through it before you know <laughs> we and you know we're worship leaders and I had soundtracks that I would sing to and and usually after Sister Gwen would minister she would ask me to, to sing or something whatever was flowing along with the message and many times I would ask her do you want me to sing something afterwards I thought, well, okay, Lord, I'm not going to ask anymore. If I'm asked to sing, I will. I'm not going to ask. And I said, Lord, even take away the desire to be a worship leader because things were just happening. You know, and I go to sing, and uh, there would be glitches in the soundtrack. You mm-hmm. know, it's pretty embarrassing. I remember that. You know, there would, and then the monitor might be off. You couldn't hear your voice. You couldn't hear. And so you weren't synchronized with the soundtrack. And so then if you're not synchronized with the soundtrack, you know, you're feeling... It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing, you know. And then I just wasn't feeling the anointing on it. So if you're not feeling the anointing on something you're doing, you need to start asking questions. You yeah. know, what's the motive behind this? And right. Because it's just like, you know, many worship leaders and preachers have stage itch. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to get on that stage. This is what I do. And if you're in a line of two or three people, maybe the minister... And all of a sudden, time runs out, and uh, they're not going to be able to have you sing. What's your heart saying? You know, mm-hmm. do you get upset? Well, you know, I, you know, I could do a better job than that one before me. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that is pride, mm-hmm. number one pride. And so anyway, I said, well, Lord, I think this is something. I just need to lay this down. And he did that. You know, I, I quit singing, and he took away the desire of leading worship. You know, it just, we led worship, but I would not ask to, and I was not, if I wasn't expected to, I, you know, I just, I want a total change of heart because I want this to be unto God. And this, uh, so this went on for a while, and now we're on our way to Jerusalem. We're actually driving to New York. (laughs) Yes. You know, we're driving to New York, and we have meetings along the way. Yeah. And we're on Interstate 94. And, and we were on our way there to lead worship on the Mount of Olives for, for an event that was going on there. Yes, for a conference. I thought, what a way 
to come out of what I've, we've just uh, just laid on the altar before the mm. Lord is to worship, you know, with a, a, a new ministry coming into Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives in yeah. Jerusalem. Sounds pretty I good, I mean, that, it? that sounds great. And so we're on the way, and we're going around Interstate 94 around Michigan. It's the day after Memorial Day, and a truck shoves us over off the road, and our car goes in. We've told this story before, and, and we went into Flip, the— roll, roll. Yeah, we went into the median at 70 miles an hour on cruise control on a median that's only about 22 feet wide. Mm-hmm. And we did an end-over-end end and rolled over two or three times. The car ended up totally on its side— but it never crossed the rumble strips of both sides. It's just like God said, this far and no more. And when I came out of it, I mean, I came out of consciousness a few times when they're getting me out of the ambulance or I spit glass out of my mouth. And and when I come out of it, I'm in the in the ER, the emergency, you know, kind of propped up on pillows. And the first thing I see is my hands. And I look at my left hand and one knuckle is bent down at a very severe angle. And on the end of it, you know, the, my nail is pulled up. I think you had two nails that were I had two nails, you ruined. know, and I had a fracture on the end, tough fracture on the end of one. And I looked at my right hand. It was all tore up. And, you know, at the accident, when we were on my side, my head was laying on the asphalt, and so was my right hand. You know, it was a pretty good hit, so 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 much for the details. But <laughs> the first thing that I thought was, my God, will I ever play guitar again? And so we were um, about five weeks recovering where we were. And when we got home, you know, I told the staff, you know, the eye of the needle has a long tunnel. Yeah. But it's really about laying down everything to minister to him. Jesus told the woman of Samaria at Jacob's well, she asked him, My people say we're supposed to worship here. Your people say you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. And he said, a time is coming and now is when those that worship our Father will worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not about where you worship. It's about worshiping in truth. It's about worshiping in the spirit. It's about being spirit-led in your worship. It's about connecting with our Father I remember Dean Braxton telling us that, oh, I guess it's in his, in his book, Deep Worship in Heaven, where he says that even preparing for worship is worship. It's about worshiping our Father. So when you're learning a new song that you want to use in worship and you don't know it yet and you're still struggling to learn it, God sees that as worship. It's about worshiping him in spirit and in truth. I'm reminded of, of Matt Redmond's song, The Heart of Worship, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. It's really all about him. Yes. It's not about ministering to people. It's not about setting people free. It's not about fighting demons. It's about our relationship with God. It's all about Jesus. It's all about our Father. It's all about everything that we do. You know, tying your shoes can be worship. Uh, Go back to Brother Lawrence's book, The Practice of the Presence of God. Washing dishes for him was worship. Communing with our Father 
That's what it's all about. Worshiping him in spirit and in truth, laying down everything that you think is important so that you can take up what he knows is important. It's like Jesus said, I don't do anything except I see my father do it. I don't say anything except I hear my father saying it. Worship is really about relationship. Knowing him, loving him, and giving the glory due unto his name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the podcasting platform suggest this podcast to other listeners who are also looking for a great move of the Holy Spirit. Check out our website at globaloutpouring.org to find out more information, read our blogs, connect with us, and donate. You can also browse our web store for life-changing anointed books. Until next time, this is Sharon Buss. And I'm Philip Buss. God bless you with his overwhelming, loving presence.